Welcome to this production from College Place United Methodist Church. To find out more about our church, please visit our website at www.collegeplaceumc.org. And now, here's our sermon from Dr. Bill Daniel. What a blessing. A mini concerto that we had. Thank you, Stephanie, for bringing the concerto with us. It, it was wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. We've been blessed with music throughout the season, and it's just been such a, such a joy. And hearing that great Charles Wesley hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, reminded me, after all these years, I just now discovered Charlie Brown was a Methodist. Did you know that? <laughs> The whole Peanuts gang. You know it's true. You've heard it every year since the mid-60s. They finished the Charlie Brown Christmas special. What do they sing? Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Good old Wesley. Probably one of the most well-known Wesleyan hymns and well-known Christmas carols. Wouldn't it be great if the Methodist Church would get a royalty cut of every time they played Charlie Brown's Christmas? It doesn't work that way, does it? Somebody could license it. It would be good. Charlie Brown's a good Methodist. Well, we're good Methodists because we have our hearts full of joy. The angel's message we heard last week in the cantata, the angel's message, they're singing, and we hear the message of the gospel again today. It was called to my attention that when, it, when we look at our scripture passage today, there is no 49th verse of uh, Philippians chapter 2. Not to worry, I have a few other verses I can pull from. I don't want to throw Trudy under the bus, it's entirely my fault uh, there. I don't know how I got the 49th chapter of Philippians in there. It could be that I'm stressed and I need peace on the fourth Sunday of Advent. I probably could use a little bit, hence the title, Increase the Peace. Instead, we're going to be looking at the fourth chapter of Philippians, beginning in the fourth verse. This may not follow along with your pew Bibles reading, so if you don't have that open, just let the words of the Lord. This might be the essential message of the angels that we heard last week brought down into practical human terms. It takes the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul's Christmas message. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And here's Paul's Christmas list for you and for I and for the people of God everywhere. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think and receive such things. 
Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen, into, seen from me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you this fourth Sunday of Advent. May the peace, the peace that Paul preaches to the church at Philippi, may that peace rest upon us. For the Lord is near. Peace is hard to find in these days, and Paul knew that the early church growing in ministry needed peace in a hostile world. But our world can be hostile, and peace hard to find. Christmas was one week away, and so the mother and the father thought they better do some remedial work on the meaning of the Advent candles with the children, since the weeks had passed by. And the mother asked the little Daughter, who can tell me what the four candles of the Advent wreath represent? The little girl jumped up and said, with all the wisdom and exuberance of the seven-year-old, well, there's hope, there's love, there's joy, and there's peace. And, and what's the fifth one for? Well, there's peace and quiet. And that's the one candle we hadn't lit yet, the quiet candle, right? <laughs> we lit the peace candle today. Lynn and Gwen led us in that uh, wonderful recitation. And we are awaiting the lighting of the fifth candle tomorrow night in our candlelight service. I hope you don't have to wait till tomorrow night, the holy night, to get your silent night of quiet, but quiet can be very difficult to find. We need a peace increase right about now. Amen. Patty and I used to go see this uh, funny ventriloquist named Jeff Dunham, and he had a crotchety little puppet named Walter, you may know. And I remember one year he was talking, Jeff was talking to, to Walter, and Walter said to Jeff, so what is it you want for Christmas, Jeff? Jeff said, well, I just want a little peace and quiet. And Walter said, well, I just came from the mall. They're all out of it. <laughs> if we're looking for peace and quiet in the mall and the commercialism, we, like Jeff Dunham and Walter, will be disappointed. I think they're all out of it. If you've got to order it from Amazon or get it from eBay, they're probably out of it by now. Peace and quiet. It comes in a different way. We know in our world that other things are increasing exponentially. Taxes and terror and budgets. Well, heck, our government's not even open, so we know that that's a difficult place to find peace and quiet with all the debate and rancor over budgets and priorities. Our blood pressure is probably increasing right now when we think about all the strife in our country and our world. And yet Paul is offering a prescription for peace at Christmas. For a church that knew hostility. For a church that was attempting to be a light in the darkness. A light pointing to the light that had come in Jesus. So Paul gives us a prescription. And what I find helpful at Christmas time, sometimes if we go to all the great texts, the Luke text, the Matthew text, the, the baby in the manger text, when we go to those texts and we have the angels alone in their marvelous singing and announcing, the light is so bright from that Christmas message in those texts that probably by 
right about now we're, we're a little overwhelmed by it all. The Christmas message. And I know a lot of preachers prefer not to preach those great Christmas texts because it raises expectations so high we're afraid Christmas Eve and day will bring disappointment. So I like to look at Christmas kind of from an angle. You remember we, the second Sunday of Advent, looked at Christmas from John the Baptist's point of view. That gave us a certain prescription on how we must repent and, and uh, give our, our lives to Christ for the kingdom is near. It's the same message. The Lord is near here. And this is the Christmas message according to Paul, a little different angle. The announcing of the angels has been brought down to earth. How we put it into practice in that tough place, the church, that needs to be a place of peace in the midst of the storm. And how to find peace. It's kind of like um, there's certain stars in the sky that you really can't see very well. They're, so, they're pretty light. Uh, the Pleiades are an example. The seven sisters, the Pleiades. You really don't see them in all their glory, without a telescope, you really don't see them directly with your, with your direct eyesight, but out of your peripheral vision, if you can just cock your eye a little bit, you can begin to see the light a little brighter as it comes gently to you, the Pleiades. I think that's what the Christmas message, according to Paul, is, is sort of allowing an indirect light to come shine as we open our hearts and cock our eyes and our ears to the gospel according to Paul. You haven't heard that Christmas message according to Paul. All the Christmas message hadn't really evolved in terms of all the trappings that we know it. And yet the need for peace, Paul spoke about it in Galatians, the fourth chapter, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, into the world, the world under the law, that we might be set free from the law and adopted as God's sons and daughters. Isn't that a beautiful Christmas message? Kind of the earliest Christmas message. Paul is an early witness to the gospel and to Christmas. And here we have another echo of Christmas. Because the Lord is near. Advent is about over. The Lord is near. Rejoice. Let gentleness and peace be your gift one to another. And be anxious for nothing. St. Paul's prescription says if we want to have a peace increase, if we want true peace to be delivered to our door, we first need to have the right attitude. Don't focus your eyes on the bright lights of the world. You know, when Charlie Brown saw all the decorations that, that Snoopy had made, he couldn't quite take it. His dog had become commercial with all the lights. And he won the first prize in the Christmas decorations contest. And he became despondent. It's the attitude whether or not true peace is delivered. And Paul says, through prayer, don't be anxious. Don't look at the world. Don't look at all the bright lights and the loud sounds too long. Let your gentleness be known. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious. Let your prayers be lifted up to God. And by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Not to Santa Claus. <laughs> Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which is beyond all human understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Could you use a little prescription of that? Doctor, write me up a little prescription of that this Christmas. Paul in, the Philipp in Philippians chapter 4 gives us that formula. 
and in a sense gives us that great list later on. Whatever is noble, whatever is excellent, whatever is right, whatever is pure. If our prayer lists are longer than our wish lists, we've made a good head start like Paul in the church at Philippi towards finding a lasting peace that will come and will not elude our grasp that is so, so easy to slip by in the Christmas season. Well, the people upon whom that light dawned upon, the great light, were in darkness, but the world under Rome, the Pax Romana, were obsessed with peace when Christ was born. The Pax Romana in Latin means the Roman peace. Uh, the Roman colonial regime had brought an unknown amount of peace for at least 200, almost 300 years by the time Christ was born. The Pax Romana. So peace was on people's hearts. And people were beginning to enjoy a peace dividend. But peace in the Latin sense was more about legal ideas, about how to bring a remedy between two legal parties in a, in a legal lawsuit. That's what the Romans thought of peace, when two parties find a resolution. Now, in the wider Greek-speaking world, the Greeks love to argue and debate, and we get our debating tradition in, in Congress from them, right? <laughs> Well, maybe not. Maybe not as civil. The Greeks like to just argue ideas and not hurl negative things at one another's personality. But the Greeks' notion of peace was the kind of peace that comes when the argument of both sides has been properly heard and the truth wins out. Don't you long for that kind of peace as we fight over budgets at Christmas time? Kind of we long for the Pax Romana. We'd settle for that. We settle for the Irene, which is the Greek word for peace that comes when the truth has been civilly argued and looked at from different angles and the truth wins out and the truth shines forth. We could do with a little Irene, couldn't we? The Greek word is the name that we call Irene. Is Irene? She's not here today. I'm speaking her Greek language. That's the name that Irene the female name is taken from peace, the peace that shines through when rationality reigns. That's what the Greeks long for. In the New Testament, Paul is talking about something even deeper than both those concepts. He's talking about the shalom of God that will, will dawn upon God's people in the Messiah. Peace would be unleashed. We heard about the, the announcement from the angels, peace on earth, goodwill towards men and women, upon whom grace rests or upon whom God's favor rests, peace. But the shalom that Paul is talking about and is the New Testament concept of Irene is rooted in is about peace with God. It's about the peace of our soul with God. It's about the peace of soul within ourselves, with our body. It's about the peace of our soul with our neighbor. It's a holistic peace. It even has the notion of health health and wholeness. When we find God's peace, we find a wholeness that is something deeper than the world's legal and philosophical peace on offer to us. God's peace is a peace that transcends all understanding. Another translation might be the peace that transcends all cultural categories. It's a peace that busts through all misconceptions that every culture and nation has. 
The peace that passes all understanding can only come through prayer. It only comes through petitioning the Lord and offering deep intervention. A petition is something that we enter into to get an answer from God. Lord, I need an answer for this prayer. Will you help me? Will you help my family? Will you help my health? Will you bring wholeness and health to those I love? I need an answer as much as I need the answer from the doctor, as much as I need the answer from the lawyer, as much as I need any answer I've ever had. I need it. That's what a petition presented to God, a list deeper than any wish list at Christmas. What's on your wish list this Christmas that you are willing to petition God and to go into court and to argue your case so that the truth and the peace of God would shine forth, the peace that passes all understanding. Peace, where is peace that we might enter into it? that we might have a peace increase. The great missionary E. Stanley Jones celebrated a few Christmases in India as a lifelong Methodist missionary there, came to understand peace as something more than the Western notions. Peace for E. Stanley Jones, he said, comes from a deep adjustment to reality. And there can be no adjustment to reality without adjustment to God's reality. In prayer, we begin the process of adjusting our purposes and our wishes to God's purposes and God's good wishes for all of humanity. Peace upon earth, goodwill towards men. We can't petition for peace and we can't receive that peace dividend unless we're willing to petition God and allow our reality to be adjusted to God's reality. He says, if you look within for peace, you'll be discouraged. If you look around you, you'll be distracted. If you look back, you'll be paralyzed. But if you look at Jesus, you'll have peace. That's all we're saying. That's all we're saying at Christmas. Give peace a chance, but you got to look at Jesus. That's where we find it. They're all out of it anywhere else in the world. Amen? Amen. So we're looking for presents. Paul says, put your petitions and your prayers and your wishes before God. And the first prescription for peace is there. Look for Jesus, the gift of peace, the prince of peace, the author of peace. The peace that passes all understanding. The second piece of the peace in Greece, if you will, is to offer those prayers with thanksgiving. The antidote for anxiety in this world, the world that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, as Scripture talks about, is the prayer for gentleness and for gratitude. The prayer offered in gratitude that God would bless us with a, a sense of gentleness and peace in this world, where all we seem to get is harshness on our TV and in our political discourse and in the economic realm and in the philosophical realm, the cultural realm, all we have is harshness. Paul says, by prayer, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace which passes all cultural categories, the peace that passes the Pax Romana, the peace that passes the irony of debate in Greece, the peace 
even deeper than shalom, the peace of Christ that comes is the blessing that we seek Sunday by Sunday. I saw a, uh, an interview with the Grinch on television this week. Did anybody see the interview with the Grinch? He was interviewed on television. There's a new Broadway play about the Grinch, and he continues to fascinate our Grinchy culture, wouldn't you say? What's so fascinating about this Grinch character? From the mid-60s, he's been haunting our dreams or blessing us in the end when his heart grows three sizes. Well, there's a, a new movie, an animated movie, and it's supposed to be more gentle for the kids. They don't bring all the Grinchy, raunchy attitudes of the, the old version or the Jim Carrey version. Now there's a new animated version, and now there's a Broadway version. So they had the, the, the Grinch come for an interview, and it was a fascinating interview with the Grinch. You really, have you ever had an interview with a Grinch? <laughs> I have. I've been a pastor of many congregations. I've had a few <laughs> interviews with a Grinch or two in my pastoral office. Usually they stay away in the Christmas season, but I've had a few interviews. Interviews with a vampire is one, but interviews with a Grinch. But the interview with the Grinch was so fascinating. The Grinch came in and was talking about his Broadway show and how he hates Christmas, but it's a good time to hate Christmas because there's so much joy and he really hates it. And, and they asked the Grinch, well, uh, what do you like best about Christmas? Stealing hopes and dreams is what he said. Wow, stealing hopes and dreams. That's the Grinch way. That's kind of the Grinch world we live in, you know? Stealing our hopes and dreams. He was asked... Um, so you like to steal hopes and dreams. Well, are you vulnerable to anything? Do you have a kryptonite? He's green, right? So you think maybe he's kryptonite. No, no. My weakness is gratitude. If I see gratitude, I just can't stand to be around and have to go somewhere else to be grinchy, you know? Isn't that the truth? Isn't that what the truth of the gospel that Paul's talking about with thanksgiving? Let your gentleness be known. The Lord is near in everything. Don't be anxious. Don't let the Grinchy world steal your hopes and dreams and make you anxious. Present your request to God with thanksgiving and gratitude. You know the story. You know the story. The Grinch, his heart was too small and he just wanted to steal all the presents and he stole all of Whoville's presents. And then as he was about to throw them all into the, the giant Grand Grinch Canyon, I guess is what it is, he saw down there that the Who's gathered and clasped arms and sang praises of thanks anyway. The Christmas didn't come in presents and bows. It came in thankfulness. And as they sang their little faux Latin, Dabu Dore, Dabu Dore, Christmas time is here. I heard this morning when I was getting ready, I've got the Sirius XM Christmas thing on and I'm listening to it and they were singing the Dabu Dore song and it says... Christmas we will always grasp as long as we have each other's hands to clasp. You might have missed that part of it. The gratitude, the, the gratitude that we have clasping with the ones we love and clasping onto God in prayer and giving gratitude. The grinchiness of the world cannot stand when the people of God are grateful. Are we grateful? Are we clasping to one another? Are we grasping like the Grinch? If we're grasping, 
We're stealing hopes and dreams, and they're being stolen right from under our Christmas tree, even as we speak. But if we're clasping one another's hands, if we're clasping our hands together in prayer and in gratitude, the gratitude of God's people is greater than any grinchiness that the world will bring us to steal, kill, and destroy. I like that. Paul was on to it. Paul was on to the grinchiness that will come to steal our best gifts away, to steal our hopes and dreams. Paul says, let your hopes and dreams be made known to God with thanksgiving. God, you're, you're bringing my hopes and dreams. Maybe I need to adjust my hopes and dreams to your hopes and dreams. Maybe I haven't gotten my hopes and dreams under the Christmas tree because they weren't yours, God. Oh, what courage it takes to adjust our hopes and dreams to the gifts God wants to give us. Look at the gifts. Paul says, focus your eye on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy. Focus on these things and you will receive the hopes and dreams that the grace of God intends for us. That's how we put in the Christmas message into practice. We focus on excellence in a world that is shoddy and is empty and cannot provide the peace and quiet. Excellence, giving your best to those you love, to those in the church, to those in the world around you. This is how we put the peace into practice and how we increase it in the world. Excellence, giving your best. If we want great children, we got to give them our best, right? In ministry and in family life. We have, they don't just grow into excellent children. We have to show them the way by focusing on what's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. They're not just going to imagine those things. We have to provide those to them. We have to be those examples of nobility and truth and righteousness and purity and gentleness and being anxious for nothing. Excellence is not an easy thing. Excellence is to take the ordinary things we do and do them in an uncommon way, the way that leads to God's purposes. That's what excellence is about. It's not about perfection. The pursuit of perfection just leads to frustration, neurosis, and a waste of time. Certainly the anxiety that Paul is talking about. Perfectionists, this is not a good time of year for you. You may be in a lot of anxiety right now. But Paul says, shift the frame a little bit. Look a little aside. Think about excellence. Excellence is about focusing on the best that you can be. Excellence. It's not about success. It's not about being number one. It's about being the best that you can be and that we can be together. God wants us to be instruments of grace and light and peace for the world. We need to be excellent. How many of you know what a Stradivarius violin is? I think Stephanie probably does, right? You got one? Can I? I do not. You see? <laughs> How much would you say? Three quarters of a million dollars, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, give or take. And there's not so many in the world. Correct. Stradivarius was a Christian, and um, 
Stradivarius knew about excellence. He was committed to excellence on the instrument. He spared no expense. He did the common thing of making a violin in uncommon ways. He wasn't, uh, he was focused on the instrument as it could be an instrument in human hands. He was quoted as saying, this is the reason why he pursued excellence in the violin. God needs violins to send his music into the world. Do you believe that? I do too. I think we heard God's music coming through Stephanie. I think we heard it through David and Diane and our choir. But Stradivarius said, God needs violins. He needs the best violins to get that message of music into the world. If the violin is defective, God's music and message will be spoiled. How much more valuable are we to God? This season, the message goes out. God needs your best, your best gift, whatever it is, whatever voice, whatever gift, whatever talent, whatever truth, whatever nobility, whatever purity, whatever that is lovely, whatever that is admirable about you, whatever that is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about these things. Put them into practice. And the God of peace will be with you and the world. That's how we increase the peace. God is sending the message, the song into the world. Stradivarius said, other men will make other violins, but no man shall make a better one. It's because the message should be preeminent. Excellence, your gifts, your best self. That's the instrument that sends God's message to the world, the message of peace. You know, every good thing, every great hymn, every great work of art that proclaims the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, the light coming to the world, every sermon, every worship service from the birth of Christ to today, Everything that is excellent in this world was born in a manger 2,000 years ago. Every good gift. The scripture says, the father of lights, the giver of every good gift that came to man. Every good gift came in that manger. And Paul believed it. And Paul says, if you believe it, you should be that gift of excellence. You should be the gift of what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. We are the gifts of excellence. We are the Stradivarius that God plays his beautiful message to the world. Can the world hear our song? What's the world hearing in our song, College Place, this Christmas? Along with Paul. We believe that everything is precious and excellent and beautiful and worthy came and comes from that manger in our hearts. So together, we clasp hands. We clasp our hearts. With thanksgiving and prayer, supplication, we make our requests be made known to God. And the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that passes all of the Pax Romana, the peace that passes all the peace Americana, the peace that is the Pax Christi, the peace of Christ that has come into the world. It was born in a manger, but unless it gets released in our lives, it cannot be born again in our world. Will it be born again in our lives? Will we be the gift? Our best gift to the world is our best self. It's our best college place. 
What hope and dream is God crafting in you and in us for this new year? Because the gift of Christ came in excellence, in truth, in purity, in nobility, in loveliness 2,000 years ago. Is it, are those being crafted in you, in your family, in your community, in your workplace? Do we see the signs of that life? Your best self is the best gift to the world. The early church theologian Origen said the Pax Romana was good, but the Pax Christi better, the peace of Christ. It was only possible. The peace of Christ, the milder spirit that was introduced everywhere into the preaching by the preaching of the apostles perfected the Pax Romana. Peace of Christ be with you. We, we pass that peace. When we say the peace of God be with you, we're saying a deeper peace. The peace that passes all understanding. That is born of excellence and truth and nobility and purity and righteousness and loveliness and admirability. Excellence. This is how we adjust our light to God's light. Our hopes and dreams to God's hopes and dreams. Our realities to God's emerging realities. So do you want to increase the peace? Are you looking for it under the tree? Paul says if you seek it by prayer, with gratitude, and sprinkle a little excellence, the peace put into practice and passed along to the world, will be with you and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In order to increase the peace, I pray that this peace will be yours this fourth Sunday and each Sunday to come, that it would be born in us here at College Place, born in you afresh this happy morn as it comes upon us. We hear the word of Paul, the Christmas word, rejoice! Again, I say rejoice. Let gentleness and peace be known to all. Pass the peace, for the Lord is near. Rejoice. We found peace, and we found a little quiet, for the Lord is near. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you in this Christmas season. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. This has been a production of College Place United Methodist Church. May God bless you richly upon hearing this message.